Welcome to 7 Questions About Death. I'm Beth Jansen. Most people are pretty uncomfortable talking about death. I hope this program can help to change that and make death a more natural topic of conversation. Today's guest wishes to be called Leona for reasons of anonymity. For one moment, stop all skepticism. Just be here. Do you feel something? Do the lights dim? Question one. What do you believe happens to a person's consciousness or spirit after the body dies? Nothing. So it's like a light being shut off or? Yeah. So body dead, mind, consciousness, everything finished. We're just energy. And when we pass from this form of energy, which we recognize as being sort of an animated form of energy, and we pass from this form, and we become a different type. And usually it's a very sedentary form of energy after that. So your thoughts, your memories, your desires and experiences end with your death? Yes. Does anything live on? Well, what remains of a person, uh, as I mentioned, usually continues on in some fashion. So let's go with the nicer to imagine uh, cremation. So you become ash, and ash can, of course, if you want, you can get it compressed and made into a diamond. Like, that material of what was you continues on. Um, In the case of somebody who isn't cremated, then usually there's a lot of organisms that take over your body and create their own little universe as the body decomposes into something else. Question two. Have you ever been present when someone else's life ended? Yes. Is there anything you feel comfortable sharing about that experience? Oh, (laughs) this is going to make me very sad. Because of my belief system. The finality of it makes it very sad. Because for me, that's it. The version of them that I knew. I don't see again. It's very hard. But yes, I've seen one human pass, and I've seen one animal pass as well. I suspended all belief when I saw the human pass away, and was like, okay. For one moment, stop all skepticism. Just be here. Do you feel something? Do the lights dim? All the sort of pop culture things that you might think of from movies or other references, you know, you'll feel something brush past you, or a moment of silence, or your breath will be taken away, or a sign because a mirror falls or something. None of that happened. None. With either of them. So, yeah. Very harrowing experience, and... It does make every day that I am alive with someone or a creature that I care about more precious. 
because I don't think we'll get that moment back. Thank you for talking about that. You're welcome. Sounds like such a devastating experience in both cases. Yeah. Question three. Have you ever experienced communication from someone who is no longer alive in the physical world? Or have you wondered if you were receiving communication from someone who is not alive in this world? No, never. Not when you were a child or a teenager or... Has your belief system always been the same? Hmm, that is a very intriguing question. Probably. I used to visit a cemetery when I was a child because it's where some of my family members were interned. And it made me feel closer is perhaps not the correct term that I'm looking for, but solace maybe to be there and to know that from a child's perspective, they're laying in the ground, but to know that I was close to them, close to their physical form. I didn't speak to them aloud, but I'm sure in my mind, I was like, hey, you know, today went like this or what have you. So I felt I had a connection to family members that were no longer present, although I don't believe I had any misconception that there was a spirit or something embodying them or a ghost or a soul or anything. I think I just felt like this is where relatives sound so weird, reside now. And so if I want to be near them, that's where they are. However, in my later life, because of that kind of thought as a child, the cemeteries are very peaceful and calming to me. I'm not really afraid of ghosts or what have you. I interpret being there as being a very calming place, a very connected place for myself, if there's someone I know there, or even for other people who are visiting their relatives that may hold a different belief system than I. I like to imagine that it brings them comfort to be there, albeit sadness at the same time, but it always brought me comfort. Hmm. Thanks for talking about that. I can see you as a little child, and it's very heartbreaking. Oh. I suppose to some it is. When it's what you know, you don't see it that way. When it's the way you frame the world and make sense of the world, it doesn't seem that way because it's all that you know to people that may see the world in a different way or have a different experience with life or belief system. That could be perceived as quite harrowing or lonely, but for me it didn't seem that way. In, in fact, it seemed comforting compared to the world, uh, the living world, I should say, where maybe, you know, having a tough time at school, having a tough time with friends or family or whatever. Well, you don't have a real tough time with people who are just laying there, and I don't mean that to be glib by any means, but there's a certain acceptance of the people that are consistently there, and you don't receive any judgment from them. Granted, I don't receive anything from them 
by my belief system, but to know that I'm close to them. And one day I will be probably much closer to them, sadly, but that is also a reality. So the cemetery brought you solace in a way. Absolutely. It was a safe place to feel connected when sometimes in reality, in the living world, there wasn't somebody to connect to. Mm. That's so powerful. Question four. Who do you want to be with you when you die? And what circumstances would you choose if you could choose them for your death? Well, that's very challenging. I don't think I've ever thought about who I'd want to be with me. I think I've thought about where I'd want to be, me personally. I really don't have an answer. That's a novel question for me. You can start with where you'd like to be. My family hails from a country in Europe, so I would want to be where more of my relatives, albeit past, are. When you die, or...? Yeah, yeah. Or if that's not arrangeable, because sometimes you don't have control over when you pass, then it's in my will that that's where I want uh, what remains of me to be taken, which would likely be cremation, because I don't think it's very feasible to be transporting corpses around the globe. Expensive. I wouldn't want it done. Understood. Some people don't want anyone with them. Some people want to die suddenly. Some people want to die at home or outside or in the midst of life. Do you have some immediate responses about those kinds of circumstances? From a very selfish perspective, preferably not in pain, However it goes, may it be swift and not a long, drawn-out, painful process for me, with an eye to living relatives that should succeed me, also so it's not a painful process for them, right? Because saying goodbye and having done that twice to people, to a person and to an animal that was passing, is torture. The lengthy dying process is torturous, is what you're saying, for the people that love them. Yeah. Mm. It's torture because you never want the moment to come. For me, there's nothing later. You don't want them to go, but you don't want them to be in pain. I don't want to be in pain, and absolutely I don't want them to be in pain, for sure. But it's torture in the process because the finality of the moment... And you can never, for me, revisit them, not really. I can revisit what remains of them, and I can hold that dear. But the process of being there and watching is torturous because you know that in that process you're sitting on the cusp of great grief. But you kind of want that cusp to never go away because then that is the depth of grief afterwards so it's this weird paradox right i would not want myself or anyone else to suffer but hastening the passing of a person or an animal to alleviate their suffering is a kind of suffering for yourself along the way 
can see that. Thank you. I don't mean to laugh. It's very stressful. Good topic. Thank you so much for speaking with me about it. You're welcome. Question five. How do you feel about the fact that you will die? Are you afraid of your death? I think I'm afraid of the process of dying because of the associated pain or degeneration or many diseases, Alzheimer's, Lou Gehrig's, etc., where you no longer have control of the being that you know yourself to be, right? Or being, or in my case, energy, whatever. The, the form that you currently are, losing the capabilities, the control, or the thought process of that is an incredibly scary thought. That's probably the greatest fear I have would be that, and I can definitely applaud anybody who has had those types of conditions or has known somebody who has them, and those people persevere. And I don't know that necessarily I would have the fortitude to do so. I'm not afraid of my death, no. How do I feel about my own passing? Well, it's an inevitable thing, so I don't think I have any qualms with that. So your level of acceptance is high, would you say? I think we say that while we're healthy and we're not on the brink of it. I think if I was, say, in a hospital bed and I was living my last few moments or days or whatever, you know, let's talk about, you know, Kubler-Ross and the stages of grieving, right? Would I be so accepting if I was actually in that situation? I can't say for sure. Philosophically, it happens. Philosophically, I know I will pass. I hope it is not painful in the process, and I hope I don't lose my faculties along the process, physical, mental, or otherwise. Those are my main concerns with it. But if it was happening to me right now, and I knew it was happening, and tomorrow I wouldn't wake up, would I be accepting? I can't say for sure that I would be. So I hear that you are distinguishing between an intellectual knowledge that this will happen and the reality that we can never know the future and how we will react in certain situations. Absolutely. And there are extreme situations that people are put in all the time, whether it's about their own health, whether it's about a, a conflict that's happening. There are wars going on right now. I'm sure there are people in those situations that are in extreme circumstances. And how you feel in that moment is impossible to predict. You think you're okay with it, but you know, when there's something that potentially you could do, maybe you're not. Impossible to know. Maybe if I was very, very, very old, I would be perhaps more decided on the matter because I would have felt like I lived a long, long, fulfilling life. But at this stage, don't know that that's how I would approach it today. Okay, life was good. I don't know that I would sit there so contentedly if the brink were upon me and I knew it was. You're listening to CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton. You're listening to Seven Questions About Death. I'm Beth Jansen. If you'd like to be interviewed or if you have a comment about the show, please get in touch. My email is sevenquestionsaboutdeath at gmail.com. The seven is the number seven.
Question 6. Are there any traditions or practices connected with death which you find meaningful? I know in my own experience, being able to see the person, so the open casket, the viewing, I guess, has been important to me. And I can't quite pinpoint why it's important, whether it's that I, you know, conclusively want to know, like there wasn't a mistake, this is indeed said person. I'm not sure if there's an element of that, like, I need to know for me that this is uh, so-and-so. I had a very fond relative pass when I was very young, like six, seven, well, two actually in that year. And I just really wanted to see them. They passed within months of each other and they were no connection between the two passings, one being quite old and one being quite young. And one I could see and one I was not able to because of the condition of the person. And it was more comforting to have been able to see than it was to just look at a box. Although I didn't want to see what was inside that box, knowing why it couldn't be a viewing. I certainly did not want to, like, peek inside. But it was more comforting to have the opportunity to see and to say goodbye to the form that I knew and recognized. And... Possibly. No, I would say not possibly. I would say most probably. That is why I started going to the cemetery, was to see where I knew that version of who I knew later laid. It brought me comfort that I knew, yes, this was indeed said person, and this is where said person now is. And on some level... Probably alarming because some people would, you know, spirit, heaven, soul, whatever. But for me, just the idea of the physical being that I knew, being in that location, made me content, very contented that I'm not that far from this person that I really adored. Our relationship has significantly changed, but I'm not that far from them. I could still be not that far from them. Mm. Yeah, I can relate to the open casket because in my family's tradition, they were all, all my relatives were open casket. And it was, uh, maybe it normalized death for me in certain ways. Everyone was used to it and it was expected. In the traditions, people would take pictures actually with the open casket. And so there would be those also in our collection of photographs. Yeah. So I can relate to that. I have found or I've noticed that I don't know about the whole process of embalming, but it seems like men fare better in the process than women. And I think it's because they apply makeup to the women and they don't typically do that to men. Or the makeup they apply to men is more subtle. But I've noticed in open viewings of more acquaintances than family members, the women was like, that's not how she looked, right? That's not how she wore her hair or she never wore blush or what have you. And so the point of bringing this up is it can also be a little disturbing, 
right? Jarring. Yeah, because you are looking at the form that you knew, and then sometimes it's as if this form is in a state that is to some degree unrecognizable. I don't mean the lack of animation, because I don't watch a lot of people sleep, so yes, there would be a lack of animation, which would not be what I would recognize in a person. But it's just that the way they have to deal with that that form after passing, yeah, you can feel like, hmm, maybe this wasn't the best thing to come see. Right. Interesting. Maybe it's more upsetting to see it than comforting because it looks so out of place with all the memories that you have of the person. Funerals, Mm -hmm. other types of rituals or traditions, do those bring you comfort or meaning? I have been to many, probably in the more Christian faith system, just the people that I do. I mean, it's about them, not about me. Does it hold meaning for me? Not particularly so, no. I think I do my own grieving or making sense of the situation in my own way. So is there a requirement for that ritual? For me personally, no. But I've been to many over the years, and I can see that it serves a purpose for others. And often when you're going to these things, unless it's your immediate family, you are going for the purpose of supporting others, right? So it's a sign of your affection for the person who is suffering the loss. So I I can appreciate that it is meaningful to them. And if that person is meaningful to me, then what's meaningful to them is significant. I wouldn't say it's meaningful to me, but it's significant. Sharing in the experience of life with somebody and the fact that people will go through all the stages of life. And this is the stage of the end of a life. I think is important, right? If you care about them, you're going to find what they find important, worth respecting. Question seven. If you could ask a source of all knowledge some questions about death, what would you ask? Hypothetical for you. Yeah, very hypothetical for me. I was like, well, what scientist are we going to call up here and uh, ask about the chemical composition of the human body? I guess if I had to ask a question about death based upon my perspective on on the subject, it would be, why is it necessary that the energy form that we currently are, that we recognize as being animated and as a sentient being, be it human or animal or what have you, why must it degrade and pass? Like if it can be generated from particles or however you want to answer that uh, genesis question, if it can be generated, then why must it degrade? I think that's the only question I would ask is, why can't it be infinite? I can understand biology and those kind of processes, etc. But if we're all made from stardust or whatever, sunshine, whatever you want to equate it to, then why must those particulates degrade? Or, if not degrade from this form, 
why must they recycle then? And I don't mean in the blue bin kind of way. I mean, it, because my perspective is that we change from this version of animate energy into another version. And ultimately that does lead up to the idea of regeneration, right? Ash will eventually fertilize a plant and a plant will eventually feed an animal and an animal will go up the chain. So yes, there is a bit of a, a continuation there. I don't believe that there's a spirit tying that all together, but I do believe that the particles of energy that make up me will become the particles of energy that become something else and then they'll dissipate and some will go here and some will go there, etc. But why must there be this cycle? That would be my question. I'm probably saying it a little unscientifically, but that would be my question for the omniscient being which you referenced. God in a hospital, no one laughs at God in a war, no one's laughing at God when they're starving or freezing or so very poor. No one laughs at God when a doctor calls after some routine tests. I'd like to say thank you to today's guest, Leona. That song was by Regina Spector. It's called Laughing With. And I felt it fit the mood of our conversation, despite the reference to the omniscient being. You've been listening to Seven Questions About Death. I'm Beth Jansen. If you're interested in being interviewed, or if you have a comment or a question, please get in touch. My email is sevenquestionsaboutdeath at gmail.com. The seven is a number seven. Thanks for listening.